0: Hello, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 51 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Um, It is an episode that I think a lot of us thought might not happen um, because we're recording to you um, just a few days before Duke plays in the Sweet 16, which uh, didn't look like it was going to happen earlier this season. But yes! (laughs) We are still alive after the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. I am joined, as I always am, by my two partners in crime in Denver, Colorado. It is very, very early. We're we're doing this early on Monday morning. It is really early in Denver, isn't it, Sam Klein?
1: Yeah. uh, When I woke up this morning, there was a four at the front of my alarm clock.
0: Ooh! (laughs) That does not feel good. I don't like that. I'm doing Um, great. I'm I'm killing it today. Also on the west coast, I'm sorry. Also on the east coast, with me, where it's a little bit later in the day. (laughs) There's currently a seven in front of the clock for us, Donald Wine. It's still early. I don't. I don't. I don't care what number
2: is in front. (laughs) It's still early here.
0: (laughs) This is true. This is true. So, guys, um, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. God, it was great. It was awesome. We're gonna talk in a little bit about, you know, favorite game of the weekend. And boy, there are a lot other than the Duke games, there are a lot of them to, to pick from, but we're gonna begin with the business at hand, which is the Duke Blue Devils took care of business against the Yale Bulldogs. Um, we beat Yale 71 to 64 in a game that was a laugher. Early on, I was loving it. I was having a great time. And uh, and then I started getting a little bit more nervous, then a little more nervous, and then freaking out nervous, and then we held on at the end. Um, so, Donald, I'll tell you what, wh- why don't you get things started for us? Tell me a little bit about the, the Yale game where we were winning by more than 20 in the first half and only ended up winning by seven, and, and it was a three-point game at one point down the stretch. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was
2: the fact that we came out hot we came out on fire actually um we in the first half we shot 61 percent from the floor and 60 percent from three and that's great that's exactly what you want it uh, to do to get uh, a lead on yale and kind of temper the momentum of of the underdog story right like you, you don't want the underdog to you know have any feel like they have any chance of winning especially early um, and the home crowd. They had, you know, as yeah. I predicted, they had they had a home crowd. Yes, they did. And and even the people who were there for the previous game, which was Wichita State and Miami, most of those people who stayed were cheering for Yale as well. But I, I think the that was the key. We we rebounded very well in the first half. I think the rebounding margin was 18 to 14 Yale, which Yale is one of the top 10 defending uh, defending and rebounding teams in the entire country. So that was a good stat. The second half, we started missing shots, and we and, and we went absolutely ice cold. Um, we shot 27% in the second half. Meanwhile, they took off, and they started hitting their shots. It wasn't like a, a run that really uh, was very quick, but over the course of the second half, they had enough chance to catch up, and then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, they're only down three points, and that's when America thought they could do it. Um, But we somehow held it off down the stretch with free throws and and great defending. Um, We we did very, very well um, shooting the basketball at the line. I think we were 14-16, to which is great. You have to make your free throws down the stretch. And I I think those are two of the keys of the game. There's other keys, but I'll throw it to Sam to see see what he thought.
1: Obviously, the Dukes hot shooting in the first half was what ultimately won the game because they built the lead that, that even though Yale managed to claw back, most of it never actually um, retook, right? Um, and, and at halftime, <laughs> I, I think I, I felt what Jason was describing was that, was that giddiness, um, but at the same time being like, I mean, like, what are they going to, is Duke going to score 100 points in this Yale team that we know has a, has a pretty good defense and that is one of the best rebounding teams that we've faced all year? I didn't think that, it, that the quality of the game would turn so quickly, um but but I I knew that the offense would slow down a little bit. I think that um, the the defense also got maybe maybe the guys got a little too confident uh there were I think there were some comments from Kay after the game about how here I'll pull up I'll pull up the exact uh, pull up the exact comment it was something about how uh, this team uh, this team uh, is a house on a cliff and we just hope that it doesn't rain um you know the the margin for error here is really small obviously they don't Duke doesn't have that many guys they can sub in and um and the defense I think got a little loose in the second half because the guys felt well you know we're up by 20 22 points what's the worst that could happen and uh and it did happen we and
0: saw it and, <laughs> yeah no and
1: we absolutely saw it but then but then they uh but then when they employed the 131 defense, I think that that was that was really key for this team and that's something that uh you know I, I don't think Coach k is going into each season being like, I can't wait to figure out when we're going to employ the one-three-one defense. It's not—it's not a normal Duke calling card. Um, but when you have when you have Brandon Ingram at the top of it, and when you have Marshall Plumlee playing in the middle of it, uh, it can be very effective. And, and that's actually one of the reasons I was so worried about Plumlee going out with fouls late in the game is that we are going to have to have Jeter playing the defense, um, and Jeter doesn't do it nearly as well as Plumlee does. Plumlee takes up space uh, in the middle of the one-three-one really well, but but I think that. The star in that area was Brandon Ingram. Um, his length forced Yale to make a bunch of bad passes. Um, they they were kept timid, and and there were times when they broke it. Uh, but but ultimately, that defense was was really effective in containing them.
0: You know, it's funny at at the start at halftime when we we're winning by twenty three points, it's forty eight to twenty five. I sort of I, you know I, I'll sometimes in my head one of the ways I, I look at basketball is I'll say okay, you know, at this point how many points is it going to take to win this game where where are we where are we going to get those points and uh, you know are we capable of scoring that um and at halftime I sort of looked at it and I went god they only have 25 points i mean we had we had not only dominated them offensively but they had done nothing they had done nothing on offense themselves and i was like you know what, if we get to 70, we're winning this game. And so throughout the second half, I was sort of in my head going, 70 is the number. Like they're not going to score 45 points on us in the second half, I thought. So 70 was the number I was looking for. Uh-huh. And and we, we we did, by the way, end up getting to 70, 71, in fact. But I was like, I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if we're going to get to 70. <laughs> Our offense was really, really struggling. Um, Donald, you brought up that we shot 61% in the first half. The number in the second half was 27%. I, I want to ask you guys, do you know how many field goals Duke made the entire second half?
1: I I do, but only because I was just looking at it. So maybe okay. Donald can guess.
2: Uh, I remember um, reading about this, or actually at the end of the game, because they mentioned that we had made six field goals in the second half. And that six. was with like two minutes left. So I don't
0: think we made another one down the rest of the game. We, we did not. Six field goals the entire second half. Grayson Allen hit a three with 17 minutes left in the half when things were still looking great for us. And then he had a little, you know, a two, uh, you know, a sort of not a, not quite a layup, but one of those, you know, sort of stretching layup that he hit with about six minutes left in the game. Other than that, the all the field goals were Brandon Ingram. He had four field goals. He had Only a three. Only
1: scored in the second half.
0: I'm, I'm sorry?
1: Only two guys scored in the second half.
0: Mm-hmm. Wrong. Luke Kennard had two free throws. Oh. Oh. <laughs> There you go. But yeah, Brandon Ingram had 14 of our 23 points the second half. Grayson Allen had seven. And Luke Kennard hit two free throws. Um, man, I mean, we were – to say we were hanging on by our fingernails almost doesn't do it justice. I thought Coach K – you were talking, Sam, about some of the stuff Coach K had to say after the game. One of the things he said after the game that I thought was really telling was he said, you know – we've got three 18 year olds out there and sometimes they just get lost in the amusement park. <laughs> yeah. That was a great, that was a great, that <laughs> was a great line. I love that line. And it's, it's, it's very true. Um, You know, we are, we are still an incredibly young team as we pointed this out, you know, time after time throughout the year, an unbelievably young team trying to get it done. And, and Grayson Allen, who's, who's our undisputed team leader basically didn't play last season as a freshman. So, um, I guess games like this are going to happen, but uh, thank God for the first half. That oh. was so much of a joy to watch. I mean, what Grayson did in the first half was was absurd. He single-handed. Uh, there was a point – oh, there was a point with about a minute and a half left where he was beating Yale by himself.
1: Yeah. Do you do you guys – I, I wanted to bring up one thing that was maybe in like a definitive negative in this game, uh, just to talk about real quick, which was um, the – the offensive skill set that Matt Jones was displaying in the second half. Uh, there was a, there was a point there where he was, where he lost a bunch of balls. Hey, can, can we, can you guys remember a player who was so, if, I mean, he, Matt Jones might've been the star of the team in the first half secretly because he, because he defended the crap out of Makai Mason, um, who, yeah. who, who was held way back from his, from his normal season averages. He, I don't know how many, um, I don't know how many.
0: He was two of 12. 12. McKay Mason was two of yeah, was two 12 on the game. 12.
1: And a lot of that was Matt Jones in the first half. Some of it was Derek. Yeah. A lot of it was Matt Jones. Um, But then in the second half, Matt Jones just like couldn't hold on to the ball on offense. Like, can, can you guys remember a player who was, who was so one-sided in such an important game? I mean, that, that, that wasn't a good sign for us, was it?
2: Well, he also had three fouls in the first half as well. So it wasn't like he had an incredibly great game. I I think he had, had one of his worst games, uh, you know, of his career probably uh, against Yale. He had zero points. He had one rebound, two assists, and two turnovers. And I felt like in the second half, just like you said, it felt like there was – it was probably like 20 turnovers because every time he got the ball, you almost were like somebody else take the ball so that Matt doesn't have to handle it. And it seemed like a lot of bad things were
0: happening at that point. Let's not not forget that this guy, you know, is mostly playing point guard for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the – Especially
1: which, in this is game. Also, a, which
0: is also a conundrum <laughs> yeah for the most part he and Derek Thornton were splitting time in this game and uh oh wow yeah um it was it was it was a rough game for him and Duke there are a lot of Duke fans who are just killing him um, yeah. on the on the DBR and elsewhere and it's unfortunate because this guy you know the unfortunate part is that everyone sees offense and doesn't see enough defense and Matt Jones deserves tremendous tremendous credit for, on a on a team a Duke team that has struggled a great deal with defense. Matt Jones has been the defensive stalwart and, and means,
1: I'm glad
0: we, I'm yeah, glad we uh, gave him the credit for what he did on McKay Mason, but um, you know, he, he's also, a, he's a proud player. Um, he, he is a good offensive player as He's shown throughout the year, a number of different times, um, a very good spot up shooter. Uh, when, uh, when guys like Kennard and Ingram, um, and uh and Grayson Allen are driving the ball and, and feeding him on the perimeter. I think he will have a a big comeback game against Oregon. In fact, you know, one of the ways I look at the game is I go I go wow, you know, uh MP3 had two points, Matt Jones didn't score um and and we still man, you know, it, it's not like uh other than Grayson Allen um you know, I, I don't think we shot like crazy lights out. I mean, I, we were we were still pretty good, but um, and, and we managed to win. Maybe we've got a game in us coming up now, where Jones and Plumley can lead us as they have on on many occasions. And, Did I just say? Seg-
1: hopefully, I was going to say, hopefully, um, in the next game, Matt Jones isn't tasked with with bringing the ball up against the press.
2: I wanted yeah. to mention one final note um, that was a similarity that I was that I was thinking of during the game as this. Comeback was happening. Um, back in 2001, when we, were, when we were in the Final Four against Maryland, we were down 22, and Coach K calls a timeout and famously yells at the team and says, you're playing like you're going to lose by 40. Just play. And basically his his thing was don't worry about the lead. Just chip away one point at a time, one possession at a time. And that's kind of how Yale got back into this game. It wasn't like a, blitz, a blitzkrieg of points. It was just, you know, Slowly but surely, you looked up, at every TV timeout, they were, they were only down nineteen. They were down fifteen, and all of a sudden they were down seven, and then all of a sudden they're down three. And you realize, how did they get come all the way back from that twenty-seven point lead? And it was just that they chipped away, you know, little by little, and didn't panic and didn't really get down on themselves, even with that big lead that everybody pretty much accounted them out. So I, I just wanted to end by giving credit to them because they, they kind of. Put, perform the way we would in the, in that situation back in the day, uh, just chipping away at the lead and not really giving up on yourself. And they almost had a chance to uh, uh, really make some, really make some noise at the end.
1: Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Um, that Yale team was very impressive and I would not want to see them uh, again
0: anytime soon. Hey, you know what guys, um, before we look ahead, I, I was about to say, Hey, did I just segue us to the Oregon game before we look ahead to Oregon? I want to continue to reflect a little bit on the first two rounds of the tournament. Um, The ACC, uh, you know, oh, my goodness. The ACC has set a record by putting six, six, six teams in the Sweet 16. Um, Never been done before in the history of the NCAA tournament. The previous record of five was set by the old Big East in 2009 before we gobbled up a few of their members. And then last year, a conference tied that record, also sending five teams to the Sweet 16 and that, t- that conference was also the ACC. Um, and, and let's not forget uh, the ACC also includes a Louisville team that probably would have been like a number three seat if they were eligible, if they hadn't had hookers uh, appealing to, <laughs> to, to recruits. That was put nicely. Yeah. 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 No subtlety there from Jason, right? <laughs> no. Um, uh, you know, Yahoo, by the way, Yahoo. Who sports uh, in their article about the dominance of the ACC and there's no way to ca- call it other than dominance aside from Pittsburgh which uh, which lost by the way the, the Pittsburgh game they lost to Wisconsin one of the worst disgusting. games of basketball yeah. like, the, the two Like Yeah, disgusting it was
1: vintage com- Wisconsin
0: they, they basically they combined for less than 90 points not in a half in the entire game oh it's just horrible and Pitt was game. like
2: i was like when i picked that game uh in my bracket Uh, I was like, I think Pitt can score 49 points because I think 49 points would win this ballgame. And you know what? I was correct. The only (laughs) thing I wasn't correct in is that they didn't score 49 points. Right, exactly.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's just a dreadful, dreadful game. But aside from Pittsburgh, every ACC went 2-0 over the weekend. But Yahoo pointed out, I thought this was really interesting, Um, the ACC, to reach this week 16, beat – Two 16 seeds, a 15 seed, two 14s, a 13, a 12, two 11s, two nines, and a seven. <laughs>
1: So they didn't so Scotland this gauntlet, but they still made it through.
0: Yes, yes, but, but right, it's worth pointing out. You still have to beat the teams in front of yeah, you, and that's right. what the ACC has done. I'm yep. sure the other, State, couple-
1: I'm sure Michigan State would love to have, to have beaten even one of those teams. <laughs> yeah. Exactly,
0: exactly. So, uh, so guys, let's talk a little bit about the opening weekend. Um, uh, yeah, I'll ask the question: What was your favorite game, or or just tell me about one game that you think is incredible? And and don't take Texas A&M scoring 12 points in 30 no. seconds. No. no, no, I'm kidding. Go ahead, go ahead. Take whatever game you want. Sam, I, you can start. Well, which, which I was, was,
1: was, was going to start with my comment about the ACC, which I sent to you guys last night, which is there are six ACC teams in the uh, in the Sweet 16. Um, there's at least one in each um, in each of the four regions. So my, my modest proposal is that if four ACC teams somehow make the final four, which would include Duke, it would have to include Duke, um, that if that happens, that they should just move the Final Four from Houston to uh, the Greensboro Coliseum. And I'm going to start a movement for that, uh, which will probably promptly end when UNC loses to
0: Indiana. So... <laughs> I like it. That's, that's a nice idea. That's a good Speaking, one.
1: I'll take the Indiana game. It was a, uh, It was a really fun, high-quality basketball game. And Kentucky just didn't have the firepower to outlast uh, Tom Crean's Indiana team, who moves on to the Sweet 16 and gets to play UNC. Um, That that I'm taking mostly picking it for the credit that I want to take for for picking Indiana to get that far. I think that a lot of folks felt strongly about Kentucky, and that um, there was a little bit of a trend for 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 um, you know folks across the country to take Chattanooga and Indiana's first game, and Indiana wax the floor with Chattanooga. It was a ninety nine seventy four affair. Um, other than that, obviously Jason wanted to wanted to talk about the Texas A and M UNI game, so I will let him do that. Uh, the the one other one that I wanted to highlight um, was the end of the Wisconsin Xavier game, which was an exciting game. Um, and the the buzzer beating shot that Wisconsin had was Bronson Koenig like falling into his own bench. It's not clear why he. Um, like he he sidestepped like farther away from the basket to go take the shot. I guess he was getting himself open, but he took just a ridiculous shot, and uh, and that that was awesome. Um, I, you know we are obviously really with with that yeah, Wisconsin, uh, but but that shot was awesome, and then the the celebration afterwards was great too because half the guys ran onto the floor to celebrate, and the other half like jumped on Bronson Koenig who was like who was, like, back behind the bench because he had, like, fallen over so much. Go ahead, Jason, what are you saying?
0: Well, I was going to say about, about that shot. Um, so I looked at that, and I was like, I was like, oh, my God, that's a Steph Curry shot. Like, that yeah. was, a, you know, it was a typical Steph falling out of bounds with a defender all over him kind of shot. And when they interviewed Bronson Koenig, Koenig after the game, he said, he said, yeah, I did my best Steph Curry impression. I'm like, yes! Nice. <laughs> I wasn't the only one who noticed it. Um, and I saw an incredible... Incredible statistic about Bronson Koenig. Um, after he hit, it, he hit a three-pointer to tie the game with uh, 20 seconds left, or something like that, and and they put up a stat that said that in the last five minutes of games. Um, he was 15 of 30 on three pointers over the course of the season. He was hitting 50 percent of his threes in the last five minutes of games, which is pretty good. And I was like, "Damn, that's impressive." And then he comes down and he went above 50 percent by hitting that, that other one, which was it was crazy. ice.
2: It was ice cold too. Like
0: it was yeah, it
2: was crazy. And now um, they
1: and now they get to play a Notre Dame team that struggled to beat Stephen F. Austin. Um man, Wisconsin might be waltzing into the elite eight in, a, in like a down year where their coach like retired midseason
0: yeah <laughs> yeah so the the Texas Am Northern Iowa game um and and look I mean it went to two overtimes which is great there were a number of huge huge shots northern Iowa's bearing in threes and stuff like that but I I don't know I mean this was like the this was even worse than the Duke Maryland game. In 2001, where 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 Duke, you know, gone in 50 seconds, where Jason Williams scores 10 points, uh, you know, Duke and Jason Williams score 10 points in the last 51 seconds to to tie the game. In the NCAA tournament, Northern Iowa was leading 69 to 57 with 35 seconds left in the game,
1: and then they forgot how to inbound the ball.
0: Yep. How do you blow a 12-point lead in 35 seconds in the NCAA tournament? It started, uh, started they,
1: bounding the ball to, to the wrong to, to sidelines and to opposing players consistently. That, oh, my like, God. It was like it a was spill just, at that point.
2: They uh, they mentioned, uh, I saw it on Twitter. It was I forgot the uh, reporter who mentioned it, um, but they looked it up and said it was the largest comeback in the history of college basketball. Not, the, not just a tournament,
0: college basketball history. I mean, I'm not sure how you necessarily determine that because I'm sure there've been comebacks from more point from. It, it was it was
2: it was a largest comeback under a minute.
0: Yeah, I was going to say if you if you go yeah. under a minute, I I wouldn't be surprised. Down 12 with less than a minute, but again, it was down 12 with 35 seconds left. Four turnovers in the final 35 seconds. Wow, I, I, wow, it's just terrifying. And,
1: and, and as and as exciting as exciting as their win was in the first round against Texas. Uh, how brutal of a loss in the second round against Texas A&M
0: right yeah yeah well and and by the way like you would think they would have just packed it in and folded up after that but they played two overtimes they and and it was a very close competitive game down to the second overtime in fact northern iowa had leads in overtime where it looked like they might hold on and win again hey um, and in that, I, I was going
1: to add just to that to that first uni game against texas when they made the uh, they made the half court shot at the end um, yes jefferson off the backboard um yeah. I was shouting at my television uh, as soon as they, as soon as they like lined up to inbound that ball, there were only like two and a half seconds left or something. Uh, as soon as they lined up, uh, what was the first thing that every Duke fan noticed, or every Duke fan should notice, is that Texas wasn't guarding the inbounder. It was guarding the inbounder. Um, yep. And and I was screaming at my TV, "You have to guard the inbounder!" I'm screaming it as as you and I like inbounds the ball and then runs it up to half court and takes a shot. And I like I threw up my hands and I was like, "Of course it's going in! It has to go in." Um, if you don't guard the inbound, your horrible things are going to happen to you. And and lo and behold, um, Texas was ousted in the first round.
2: So you took one half of my favorite moment of the first round. And so it was, if you remember, it was late on Friday night when uh, the UNI game happened. Uh, oh, you're Texas. going to talk
0: about the, the two games within 30 seconds. Within of like each other. 35 yeah. seconds of each other. Yeah.
2: So my brother went to Texas, commiserations to all the Texas exes out there. Um, but uh, it, so that happened, the, the, the half court shot. And then not 30, maybe I think they said it was two and a half real minutes later. Um, St. Joe's was playing Cincinnati, and St. Joe's had just hit a three to take the lead by two with about six seconds left. Um, Cincinnati drives oh, to the length of the floor, Continue. passes off to a guy who dunks the ball with no time left. They oh, review it, so, and it's oh. the most heartbreaking thing. The dude had a shade of a fingertip on the basketball as time expired when he was dunking it. So the basket did not count, and St. Joe's went on to win that game
0: by two. Uh, yeah, it it's a tenth like, of a, it's, it's not even a tenth of a second. Yeah. It's, I think it's, it's like, it's like a, is, a half of a tenth. I mean, that, they, yeah. That so two and a
2: half seconds. minutes – that two and a half minutes is the definition of why there is nothing like March Madness. For just to the, – the fact that we were – you know, people – probably had games on their TV, two laptops, and a phone, and that wasn't enough because every single moment of this tournament so far has had some breaking action that has made you want to go, what game do I put on my TV? What game do I put on my phone? What game do I put on my laptop? Why am I not split-screening this? Because that was a point where we were split-screening, and that was the only reason That we, you know, me and my friends saw the ending of that St. Joe's game is because we had a split screen on our TV. So it it was, that is the definition of madness. Like everything happening at once, the ebbs and flows, the 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 thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, basically at by a shade of a fingertip. um, That is really why college basketball, the 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 NCAA tournament, the first couple days, they should be holidays in my in my opinion, because nobody should be doing anything but watching.
0: By the way, going back to the ACC really quickly, I just I just read something on ESPN that I forgot to mention earlier. Um, you know the way es uh, the way the NCAA determines how much money you get from the basketball tournament, <clears throat> how much money each conference gets, is by the number of games you play. The fact that the ACC has sent six teams to the Sweet Sixteen is worth more than thirty million dollars to the conference because each game is worth $265,000 and you get the money paid out over six years and all this other kind of stuff. And the ACC is guaranteed at least six more games. Um, It is, uh, it's, it's stunning. It's unbelievable how much last year and this year, our success is going to impact the bottom line of ACC teams um, in terms of uh, financial payout, Um, $30 million because of the success of the ACC in this year's tournament. And by the way, no ACC team is matched against another one. We're probably going to put several, multiple teams into the the final eight. Um, almost certainly, we are, uh, which is which is really cool. Are, 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 what do we think? We, we got anything else on on this year's tournament so far?
1: No. Let's let's move ahead and look at and look at next weekend, which is going to be awesome.
0: Uh, yes, uh, and and that means moving ahead and talking about the Oregon Ducks. Um, Oregon, of course. Uh, won a very very late night game against St. Joe's. They were they were actually down in that game. It was a it was a back and forth kind of game. Oregon had the lead most of the time, and then St. Joe's took the lead for a while. St. Joe's was actually up by seven points with five minutes left. Um, uh, it was like at 1 a.m. or something like that. And I'm not sure how many people were still watching, but um, Oregon then proceeded to outscore St. Joe's by 12 points in the final five minutes and, uh, and, and notch the win 69 to 64. It wasn't a elegant offensive game, not by any stretch of the imagination, but um, Sam, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, what, what can you tell us about the Oregon ducks, the number one seeded Oregon ducks, best team in the pac 12 that Duke will be playing in the sweet 16.
1: Yeah, they were, they were tough down the stretch. Although, although I wonder, um, I wonder how much more gas they had in the tank just given that the game was being played in Spokane. Um, so Oregon probably has to take like an hour-long flight to get there and St. Joe's has to fly from Philadelphia to Spokane, which which can't be fun. Um, but Oregon is currently sitting at 12 in Kenpom, which makes me think that they were a little bit worse than that before. Um, and they're 43rd in adjusted defense and 11th on offense. So they actually profile pretty similar to Duke in that regard. Um uh, in that the offense is a little better than the defense. Obviously, Oregon's defense ranks a lot higher than than Duke's. Um, but I, I was impressed with with their ability down the stretch to get points in different ways. Um, they had a couple guys who were scoring pretty well. Uh, Tyler Dorsey is their um, is their is their main uh, scorer from outside. He hits forty two percent of his threes. And uh, but then they also they also had points coming in the paint and and on drives. So um, it was a uh, it was an impressive team to watch. I am obviously you know you say we're, we're worried about playing them. This is probably, um, it's definitely going to be the best team that we've played so far in the tournament. Um, and, and a team that I think, you know, despite the fact that no one gets to see them because they're on the West coast and they play on the PAC 12 network a lot. Um, a, a team that, that would have been very competitive in the ACC this year. And, and it, and it's a bummer that Duke has to fly all the way to Anaheim to go, to get them. Um, so hopefully Anaheim this weekend, at least is not the, the, the home of the ducks, the way that it normally is. But, um, but yeah, I, I was impressed with Oregon. I I enjoyed watching them, despite uh, despite their their goofy uniforms and uh, and, and and while I, I think the point I was about to make before was you know on some level it's like oh I'm scared to play them but hey you know Duke's the four seed and so they get to play a one in the Sweet Sixteen and this is this this is how it works. So um, that being said, uh, I don't think that I don't think that if if Brandon Ingram and Grayson Allen and Luke Kennard are are hitting shots the way that um, the way they did in the first half against Yale, that anyone is going to beat Duke. Um, Even an, even an Oregon team that that also can spread the ball around and score in a number of different ways. They have uh, they have four guys who score in double figures. So uh, it's a, it's an impressive group. And I am excited to see, to see what Duke does against them. We don't get a lot of opportunities against PAC 12 teams, although we did get to play Utah in a thrilling game earlier this season. So um, I think that, that if, if Duke wins this game, um, it, it's going to be an, a very excuse me a very impressive victory and also one um, that is you know totally uh, on the side of Duke playing with house money at this point because uh, we're playing a team that's seated higher than us and in the Sweet Sixteen a place that I, I don't think a lot of Duke fans would have guaranteed that we were going to get to uh, especially given. The matchup problem that, that Bale or bale that Baylor or Yale was going to present to us. So um, I'm happy to be there, and and uh, and I'm glad that Duke has an extra day and a half to prepare for them than they do for us.
0: Donald, what you got on Oregon?
2: So uh, the first thing I wanted to mention is a is a quirky little thing that happened during. Uh, their game last night against St. Joe's. Uh, if a lot of people recall and um, know about St. Joseph's mascot, their hawk, um, their hawk flaps every moment of the game. They fl- it flaps for the entire game. Um, it's wings. And it's Oregon, not, of it's
1: course,
0: not a real is a hawk. Dunk, it's, it's not a real hawk.
1: It's not a real you. hawk. It is it is a mascot. So it's a, it's <laughs> that would, a guy that who, would be cool if it
2: was. That would be really awesome. awesome
0: if you could train yeah. a hawk to flap its wings the whole time. And not fly right, away. But
2: it is a <laughs> guy who is literally flapping, flapping his wings for the entire game. It does not stop. It is known to not stop. They have had people attempt to uh, sabotage it by tackling it or something like that, and, and th- they still flap. So the Oregon Duck, which, you know, as most people know, is basically looks like a, a souped-up Donald Duck, um, more cartoony – um, stood in front of the St. Joseph mascot at halftime and mimicked him by flapping his wings, you know, <laughs> the way that St. Joseph does. And it was really funny because they were literally about maybe 20 feet away from each other, staring each other in the face and just having a flap off. Um, obviously, the Blue Devil does not have wings, so there will not be a flap off. Um, but I'm curious to see what kind of antics the mascots will have uh, of between the two teams in Anaheim. Um, but one thing I wanted to point out getting back to the actual team is that Dylan Brooks, uh, I, I think we, I don't know if we mentioned him uh, yet, but he is their best scorer. And he at times looked ferocious, uh, especially inside. He, he could score from just about anywhere, um, except for three point. He didn't really shoot well from three, but he is one of those guys that you're like, okay, you need to look out for him because he is a score. Um, he, he, doesn't shoot that well. He did actually shoot well from three last night. It's over the course of the season that he was not a very good particular three-point shooter. Uh, He shoots about 32% from three normally. So maybe last night he was hot, but he went off um, basically the first half and into the second half when uh, Tyler Dorsey took over. Um, and I I thought he was very strong um, both on the Uh, offensive end but also a defense he's one of their guys that if if he doesn't play well then they're going to have a bad night so uh, that's somebody to look
0: out for so i I mean the thing that that i've noticed uh and and i've seen pieces of oregon play multiple games this year uh, this is a long and athletic team um and they're very very quick uh, they, they aren't tremendously deep. I mean, they're capable of playing eight or nine guys, but for the most part, they're playing se- like yesterday against St. Joe's in, in, uh, you know, in a very close game in the NCAA tournament, they only played seven players. Although the, the guys they off their bench that they used, you know, both played, um, well into double digit, you know, around 20 minutes. So they got, you know, around 40 minutes from their bench. Um, you know which is pretty good uh bench time and could pretty good bench production um but they are to some extent I don't want to I don't want to say golden state I don't want to say that they're the golden state warriors but they're not entirely different from that because Everybody on the team shoots really well. Everyone on the team handles the ball pretty nicely. They rebound collectively as a team. Um, it's not. A, it's not the kind of team where there's where there's you know one or two guys who are inside and then some guys who are outside. Uh, this is a team with a lot of guys who do a lot of similar things and work together as a team really well. I pre- they're going to present some major major challenges for Duke. There's a reason they're a number one seed. Now, I, I don't think their resume. Or their performance is as good as the other number one seed. So to some extent, and we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when the bracket came out and we were, you know, looking at uh, a potential matchup with Oregon in the Sweet 16, uh, and we said, you know, this is a, you know, this is not a bad road for Duke. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take the Oregon Ducks as, as our one seed all day long. But they're still a very, very talented team. Um, uh, like everyone on the team shoots three pointers. It's kind of crazy. The number of threes that they're willing to take, and and it doesn't matter who's shooting them. I mean, Marshall's going to have to go out to the perimeter, uh, and 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 guard guys on the perimeter because because even they're or, big men, um, or
1: we'll have to or we'll have to employ that that trapping zone defense, um, right, highly I, effectively.
0: Yeah, uh, Chris Boucher, who's their who's their tallest player, um, stands six ten. Uh, even he's willing to take um a number of he shot more than a hundred three pointers in the season, um. So, so they are uh, they are entirely willing to put the ball in the hands of anyone, um, in any position. They're they're very much one of these teams with a lot of interchangeable parts, uh, and it's gonna be really interesting, um, you know, to to see how we do against them. Uh, Duke has more than a puncher's chance in this game. Uh, you know, I'm sure Vegas will install Oregon as my bet would be, you know, around a, a maybe a three or four point favorite at the most. That's it, it'll be a very very competitive game. I suspect um, Duke's gonna have to. We're going to have to shoot well. Um, you know, I'm not saying we're going to have to shoot the way we shot in the first half against Yale because <laughs> there's no way to, to do that consistently. Boy, I would love it if it we did that. Yeah, boy, would that, that'd that be fun. But um, we're going to have to shoot fairly well. We're going to need um, uh, contributions from, from uh, Matt Jones. And, and Marshall Plumlee more than we got offensively, at least in the previous game. Um, but we've got a decent chance in this game.
1: Uh, I, I wanted to add. Uh, I wanted to add one more th- yeah. one impressive thing about Oregon. Um, Jason, you are you okay there? I thought I heard some weird. Uh, absolutely,
0: something. go go go! Yeah okay, yeah. Sorry.
1: Um, I <laughs> wanted to add one more impressive note about Oregon. I, I mentioned that that we had gotten to play Utah earlier this year, another Pac-12 team. Oregon uh, and and we know that Utah is a is a strong team. Um, they uh, they're advancing to the to the Sweet Sixteen or no? Um, now I can't even remember. No, yeah, no, no last they, they, they Oh, they got creamed by Gonzaga. but, yeah. but Utah was a strong yes. team. Oregon beat them three times, including an eighty-eight to fifty-seven win um, in the Pac-12 championship game. So, uh, you know, even even against a strong team like Utah, uh, Oregon was able to Oregon was able to to really pound it home against them. And, uh, and so we have a few, uh, we have that as a common opponent there. There's three games worth of tape that that Duke can watch. So, um, so we'll see what kind of, what kind of game plan, um, coach K comes up with. And, and and as I mentioned, uh, which I think is actually a, a really big thing for Duke is the extra day and a half of rest. So Duke was, was home, you know, Saturday afternoon from, from Providence and they got to watch the whole Oregon game, you know, just like with the team and they'll, they'll, you know, have plenty of time to like rest and, and come up with a game plan before um, flying all the way to Anaheim. Uh, the final note I wanted to make was uh, yeah. last night, um,
2: uh, Oregon had seven blocks and they're good team. They were really, really uh, athletic in the paint, especially not just with their blocks, but with the, Uh, some of the shots that they altered just by the fact that they had blocked so many shots. So we're going to have to really watch it when we uh, have our guards drive the lane. They're going to be looking to feed, uh, uh, probably feed us into the lane where they think they have an opportunity to block a layup or or block a shot off the glass. Uh, So I think that's going to be uh, a key thing, and that's the reason why, as you said, Jason, we should probably shoot very well because if we do that, I think that's going to open their defense up a lot more than it would if we aren't shooting well.
0: You know, um, uh, one more thing about Oregon—they—they uh, they are not a team that played a ton of really good teams, um, which I think is sort of, uh, you know, an interesting thing to know. We, we 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 talked about how they did against Utah, and they were really impressive against Utah. But aside from Utah, they had a game against Baylor as well. Aside from those two games, I'm sorry from from from. Utah and and the opponents in the Pac-12 that they had to play, and that and that Baylor game, um, I, I may have missed it, but I didn't see. I mean, Oregon didn't venture out and play, you know, the teams on the eastern half of the United States uh, at, at all. Um, uh, no one from the Big Ten uh, aside from Baylor, I didn't see anything from the Big Twelve. Um, uh, certainly no one from the SEC, the ACC, the Big East. Uh, I, I, I'm I, to some extent they are. A little, not not only unknown but, but somewhat untested. And uh, and and by the way, they're you know we talked about Ken Pomeroy doesn't really like them. ESPN's BPI doesn't really and ESPN's BPI they're number sixteen. Um, ESPN's BPI will will rate Duke as a favorite in this game against Oregon. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to me to see uh, you know whether or not those sort of advanced metrics that say that Oregon isn't that great or. Or, you know, the the polls, the rankings um, and and the RPI, Oregon scored very high in the RPI. Um, See whether that's uh, correct uh, and whether these guys are, are, you know, as good as the RPI says they are or if they're as, I don't want to say bad, but or not quite as good as some of the other uh, advanced metrics seem to indicate. And, and, you know, one other thing, by the way, uh, uh, yes, Duke is going all the way across country. To play in Anaheim, um, a long, long way to travel. But and Oregon is the home team in the Western bracket. There's there's little question about that. They were placed in their most favorable bracket. But Anaheim is a pretty long way from Oregon. Um, it's not like they're you know going right into their backyard. They're going a, a, a ways away, all the way down the the entire Western coast of the United States. I mean, Duke may have a five and a half hour flight. I bet Oregon's got a two and a half or three hour flight. So uh, you know, it's not like they'll be right in their backyard. They don't um, have to. But they, really don't have to
1: change, they don't have to change time zones, and the game is going to be at around ten o'clock um, Eastern time. Ele-
0: on, I think on ele- night. Eleven. I think it's, I think it's, it's a 11, nine o'clock.
1: It's a nine for, forty start.
0: Oh, is it nine forty? Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: but that's but that I, I, that's I approximate. At that. That's an approximate yeah, start. That's approximate and based on a first game that starts at, at seven thirty. I think so. Yeah. It's going to start about ten o'clock Eastern time for, for Duke.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which will be a little unusual for us, but you know, not horrible. We did have some um, nine
1: thirty
2: games
0: this year, um, so hopefully that helps. Yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, so we've really covered the tournament at this point. Um, we've covered Duke's uh, potential uh, opponent over there in uh, in in Oregon. Uh, by the way, should should things work out, we will have uh, another very very tough opponent. Um, uh, you know, th- this has been a bracket, uh, a year with a ton of upsets, um, double-digit seeds reaching the the Sweet 16, uh, seven seeds reaching the Sweet 16, things like that. Um, out here at West, you got the one, two, three, and four. <laughs> so, uh, and and though there were some upsets in the first round. Um, to get us to, to the second round, the, the Sweet 16 out west is uh, number one Oregon, number four Duke, and on the other side, number three Texas AM, and number two Oklahoma. So the road to the final four goes to a one seed and then a two or a three seed. So no talk about Duke getting an easy road at this point. Um, uh, but in, in any event, guys, um, I, I think we're getting close to ready to, to wrap things up. We should do player of the week, um, uh, or should we just call it player of the game against Yale?
1: Yeah, I think that we had um, we we did a player of the game, I believe, after the uh, after the Wilmington game. So let's just yeah. let's just focus on the Yale game.
0: We did, we did, and we had. By the way, we had three different guys after the uh, UNC Wilmington game. Donald, why don't you start for us? Who is your player of the game against the Yale Bulldogs?
2: Uh, against Yale, uh, let's see. Let me look at these three little stats. I think Brandon Ingram. All right, yeah. um, let me let me restart. <laughs> I, for someone, some reason, you, to somebody you were up. you were utterly <laughs> befuddled by that. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, you said Wilmington, Sam, and I was like Wilmington. We already discussed Wilmington, so when you said yeah it like, literally threw me off because I went back to the Wilmington. All right, all right let, let's
0: okay. <laughs> oh no, we're we're keeping all this in, folks. No. usually, usually <laughs> we edit out these little things. This one's too good. This what is do too you good. Mean, Donald, Donald had no idea who we played.
2: <laughs> we, played on, we played a team yesterday. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go, with it, and most people will probably say uh, Grayson Allen was the player of the game. I'm going to go with Brandon Ingram. Um, he had 25 points. He had five boards, two assists, and was awesome, uh, just as awesome as Grayson Allen was uh, during the game. So I, I think that's going to be my player of the game.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna echo Brandon. Sam, Ingram. your turn. I'm gonna echo Brandon Ingram. Um, Grayson Allen shot a lot better, particularly in the first half. Um, but Ingram did make some really special plays down the stretch. And and as I noted before, um, it was his defense in the one-three-one zone that I think ultimately disrupted Yale and allowed Duke to um, to get a little bit of their mojo back. So for Brandon Ingram, a 25-point effort um, and playing spectacular defense in that zone, uh, I I think that. Just on account of that, we're going to see it again um, against Oregon and and hopefully um, continuing
0: on. So I refuse to make it unanimous. I was going to pick Brandon Ingram, but I'm not going to because I There's don't want to make talent. it unanimous. And I'm very happy taking Grayson Allen. I I have no problem taking Grayson Allen. Uh, Duke obviously does not win that game if we don't get out to a 23-point lead in the first half. And the 23-point lead in the first half was largely on the back of Grayson Allen um, going into the zone and refusing to leave it for the entire half. Uh, He was hitting absurd shots, whatever he wanted to do. Um, I'm sure the NBA scouts were salivating over what they saw. Yeah, he demurred a little bit in the second half, but um, played 40 minutes. um, So uh, uh, five of seven from three point range, 10 of 15 from the field. Um, He was our leader uh, as he is uh, almost every game, 29 points uh, Grayson Allen um, is my player of the game against the Yale Bulldogs. Um, gentlemen, do we have parting shots? Uh, Sam, I will I will go to you first if you got some parting note before we wrap things up here.
1: I love the NCAA tournament. That's it. That's all I got.
0: Damn, you stole mine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Donald, I wonder if he was going to say the same thing. I think we can make uh-huh. it unanimous. <laughs> okay yeah. So, yeah. so not a unanimous player of the week but a unanimous parting shot
0: yeah yes uh it, it is a great great time of year isn't it it's just a lot of fun um you know what i'm gonna do one more game seeing as one more thing seeing as we didn't name our uh it uh, seems we didn't have big parting shots um that took up a lot of time um we're about to wrap up guys have a look at the bracket who's your final four now that we know the sweet 16 Who's your final four? Um, And uh, I'll give you all a second to look at the bracket. So I'll tell you mine to start with. Um, I'm going to stick with uh, the team I've been with all along in the West. Uh, People are going to hate me, but I've been picking Oklahoma from the start. Um, So I'm I'm still going to go with Oklahoma coming out of the Western bracket. Out of the Midwest, I'm sticking with the team that I have had from the beginning, the team that I believe will win the national title, and that is the University of Virginia Cavaliers. Um, in the South, I love Kansas. I don't know how you can not love Kansas. I think they get an underachieving Maryland team. And I don't uh, – Villanova was very impressive over Iowa, but I don't think that Villanova or Miami can beat Kansas. And um, I don't want to say it, but I have to say it, I, I think – uh, by the way, all four of my final four teams are still alive, um, and I'm picking my four final four teams. UNC out of the East, which will set up a UNC versus Virginia on one side of the final four, and the other side will be Kansas versus Oklahoma. Um, uh, Big 12 against the that ACC. Would be, in that the, would be fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it'd be a lot. What would be really cool is if they were matched up against, not against their conference opponent in the, in the semifinals, but against... Uh, about you know, but against the other team. But instead, we will get two Big Twelve teams and two Big East teams. I'm sorry, two ACC teams. Um, but but I'm blah, 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 I'm, I'm rambling at this point. Um, Sam, go ahead and you tell me who's your Final Four picks.
1: All right. Uh, th- um, I also have Oklahoma, I, which I believe is who I picked in the uh, in the DBR, um, challenge as well as Indiana in the East. Um, so I'm going to pick Indiana to upset North Carolina and then to you take out the winner of uh, Notre Dame and Wisconsin. I think that Indiana is um, is going to be better, at least than those teams. It's the, it's the UNC game that'll be tough for them. Um, <laughs> I foolishly picked Cal to go to the Final Four, um, despite not realizing that like one of their coaches got fired for sexual harassment, and their best player broke his hand. And uh, yeah, so that was really stupid. They lost in the first round. My bracket is a, is a total mess, um, even relative to most other people's total mess brackets. So uh, give me Kansas, because... Uh, that's the team I should have picked all along. And then um, in the Midwest reason, I think I'm also going to take Virginia. So I got uh, Virginia, Indiana, Kansas, and Oklahoma, although I would be happy for Oklahoma to get subbed out um, for our Duke Blue Devils.
0: Donald, your turn.
2: My turn. So in, in my bracket, I have 11 of my Sweet 16 still intact. I have seven of my eight elite eight teams still intact. And I have three of my final four teams still intact. And I have one of my two finalists still intact. I would like to thank Michigan State for being that other team. Uh, so in this, in the uh, Midwest, I'm going to go with Virginia since it's not Michigan State. Uh, I will stick with our Blue Devils in the South. I have Kansas in the uh, – I'm sorry, in the, in the South I have Kansas. In the West, I will stick with our Blue Devils. And in the East, I have Indiana in the final four. Uh, so I, that would be one Big 12 team. Uh, And two ACC teams and a Big Ten team. So uh, I think that's hopefully how it goes uh, for the sake of my bracket. But really, I'm just voting for anarchy. As long as Duke's not involved, anarchy can reign.
0: I like it. I like it. By the way, um, Sam made mention of the DBR bracket challenge. Um, Congrats to both of you. There are 68, 68 entries in the DBR challenge. Donald, you are in fifth place, tied for fifth and Sam you are a scant couple points or one point I should say behind him tied for ninth place what? I am in 39th yes but how did that happen because <laughs> like I don't know
2: <laughs> I picked Cal to go to the final four <laughs> I and, and here's the thing like I picked Michigan State and I wasn't really mad at the uh at yeah, and I picked
1: Michigan State <laughs>
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of people like I think you have a lot of points now that you can't get later. Like, of course, when we get to Final Four, you know, some people who have more Final Four teams intact will have more opportunities to win points. And I think I'm in that bracket where I'm just behind the first place, but not, but still have more points
0: possible than the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Sam, many
1: points remaining.
0: Right, Sam. You have forty-seven points so far. Your possible points, your total possible points, is ninety-nine. Yeah.
1: Donald like has nothing. forty-eight
0: points so far. His possible points is one hundred and forty-eight, and there are people still in the one seventies in terms of potential points. Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, yeah. So, Sam, you look good at the moment, but I don't think I'm going to work out for you long term. <laughs> yeah. Uh- I, by the way, I still have one hundred and sixty-one possible points. Um. I'm I'm actually one of the leading guys in terms of possible points but unfortunately i only have 41 actual points i need a lot of things to work out for me i think though virginia wins it all i've got a really good chance of winning this thing so we we shall see we shall see awesome so that's it huh (laughs) yeah i just i gotta go to work (laughs) (laughs) all right guys thanks again for joining me duke uh duke basketball fans thanks for joining all three of us on the dbr podcast episode number 51 Sweet 16 coming up for Duke on Thursday, sometime around 10 o'clock or so. We'll be back with you after that game, um, hopefully to preview a final eight game against either Texas A&M or Oklahoma. Um, Until then, I am Jason Evans, Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Thank you for waking up early to do this podcast. Duke Band, thank you for waking us up early and take us home.